Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, the health editor at the Mail on Sunday, and with me is the Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, Eve Simmons. Hello. This week we're talking about caesarean sections. Some experts, despite rising numbers of caesarean births, say not enough are being done and the women are enduring long, painful labours that turn into emergencies, leaving some with life-changing injuries as a result. Others say that we're doing too many. They say that our one in four women having a caesarean rate is an alarming rate. And in fact, the rising number is because of a group of women who are having electing to have unnecessary caesareans because they're too posh to push. As ever, you can tell us what you think on Twitter using the hashtag medical minefield. Eve, I was born by caesarean section. Oh, were you? Congratulations. Yes, which explains everything. I was not, actually, and my mother was very unwell after my birth. And the same with my brother, both vaginal <laughs> deliveries. Yeah, because we're not supposed to say natural, are we? No. Because... Because every birth is a natural birth. Even it's if it involves is it? general anaesthetic and surgery. Yes, because in some cases women need that in order to give birth so oh. and not die. Warning, you may hear terms like natural birth dropping in occasionally, <laughs> accidentally, and it's not because we think any other birth is unnatural. Um, it's just because... Uh, We're using inverted commas. In, you just yeah, can't see it. Always inverted commas mm-hmm. around everything. I was looking at a, a Guardian article about the alarming rise in caesarean mm. births, one in four women, which is actually way less than in other countries. So I'm not sure what their yardstick is. It rose from about one in five at the millennium to now one in four women have a caesarean birth. But then some of the risks of a caesarean birth are quite serious, that you have a big risk for future pregnancies, premature birth, a rupture of the uterus, the placenta embedding in the wrong part of the womb, postpartum bleeding, hysterectomy. You know, I mean, it's it's not a thing that you should go into lightly just because you are, you just don't fancy having a, a vaginal birth. But then at the same time, I certainly have never met anyone from my limited experience of this, any friends of mine who wouldn't just simply do what their doctors recommended. So, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised this is a debate, really. I think that the issue is, is well, there's two kind of things going on here. One is we have the type of woman who's giving birth today is very different from the type of woman that was giving birth 20, 30 years ago. So we have a lot more high-risk births, so older mothers... Perhaps they've been through fertility treatment. Perhaps they're severely overweight or obese, which comes with a whole load of other complications. And so in in those situations, those women would be advised to have a caesarean. There's also situations whereby they may not be advised until much later down the line and then they end up having an emergency caesarean. Is the whole too posh to push thing a a thing? I mean, does anyone really... Well, aside from being deeply offensive... I think fundamentally that women should be able to choose whatever they want, however they want to give birth. Um, But also the doctors that I have spoken to say that there's a very, very, very small number of women who have no medical reason to have a caesarean section and opt for it um, over and above a vaginal birth. There are some women who have mental health problems, maybe they have anxiety disorders, maybe they're acutely afraid of giving birth and therefore it's decided that a caesarean would be the best thing for their mental health but otherwise it's it's a very small number 
I know there's concerns that in some areas of the UK, hospitals are saying no to women more often than not. And that because of that, they're enduring complicated labours that leave them damaged for life. Yes. It's something you've been looking into this week. I have. It's interestingly, this has been kind of raised before. So in 2016, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists had a, um, a discussion, a consultation on whether to actually warn women of the risks of a vaginal birth before they may take them into theatre to use forceps and other instruments in the same way that they do with caesarean sections. But it was the conclusion of that meeting was that they didn't need to do that. They didn't need to rule that all hospitals necessarily do that. Mm. So you have to get verbal consent from women, but you don't have to get written consent in the same way you would for a caesarean section. But this has been kind of knocking around for a while. And doctors that I've spoken to more recently have said that they're seeing more women who are enduring these really awful complications and then end up with incontinence problems, uh, an organ prolapse, perhaps their faecally incontinent. I mean, really awful life-destroying problems. For a young woman especially... Absolutely. As a result of a vaginal birth, when perhaps they had asked for a caesarean, perhaps it wasn't really appropriate for them to have the vaginal birth, but all the right, correct kind of checks and balances hadn't been done. So it's a it's a really horrible situation for lots of women. And I believe you've got one woman that you interviewed this week on the line. Yes, I do. Um, so joining us now is Beth Nightingale. She gave birth to her baby girl in October last year and ended up needing life-saving surgery due to complications, which she says could have been avoided if her requests for a C-section had been honoured. Beth, tell us what kind of birth you wanted. What did you ask for? So initially, when I first found out I was pregnant, I thought the right birth for me would have been an elective C-section, just based on how I am as a person, um, the anxieties that I've got around health and hospitals. But that was briefly discussed um, at my first hospital appointment and shut down. Um, it was kind of told to me that these things weren't done for first-time parents, and it was reserved for if, you know, you've had a traumatic first-time birth or if, you know, your baby was in the wrong position. So then I got my head around the fact that I was going to have to have a vaginal birth and so went down the hypnobirthing route. And so tell us about what happened when it actually came to your labour. Why were there complications? So I think it was a string of things that happened. Um, one intervention led on to another. So I went into spontaneous labour 12 days overdue, was allowed to labour at home for 24 hours. And then when I went into hospital the next day, I was four centimetres dilated and the midwife did the checks and said, oh, your waters are ready to be burst. So broke my waters. And then it kind of led on from there. Unfortunately, um, there was meconium in my waters. And so it was suggested that the safest thing for the baby was to be put on the syntocin drip. Um, the syntocin drip, is that that's hormones? Am I right in thinking that that's a hormone drip? So that, that kind of encourages contractions? Yes, correct. So, yeah, synthetic oxytocin, I think, is, is what, what it's referred to. And, yeah, so it's there to speed up the labour and intensify the contractions to hurry the baby along. So, yeah, I had the epidural so that I wouldn't feel as much pain um, and the epidural worked perfect for me. I didn't feel anything. And it did its job. It sped my labour along so much so that the, the midwife and the doctor was quite shocked that I was at 10 centimetres when the doctor came around to do checks about seven hours later. So went on to doing the pushing stage, was given half an hour of pushing and it was I was then told, no, the safest 
thing to do is to get the baby out via forceps. At this point, I did say, no, I really don't want forceps. I really want a C-section. If, if this is the safest thing to do, get baby out ASAP, then I want a C-section. And I was told, no, they really needed to try the forceps first. And if that didn't work, then yes, it would be a C-section. And I think this kind of gets swept up in like the white coat syndrome. It's a doctor telling you what what they think is the, the best thing to do. Kind of, felt, I felt like I didn't have a leg to stand on. So yeah, I went down the forceps route. Forceps didn't work for us. And so it was an emergency C-section in the end, which is how I delivered my daughter. And then you ended up having an operation, am I right, after the, the C-section? Yeah, so there was complications with the C-section. I was told the next day that what had happened was my uterus had tore from the C-section incision site down to my cervix, which I was also told is incredibly rare because of being a first-time mum, I didn't have any previous scar tissue there or anything. And so they put it down to the fact that my uterus was weakened from the syntosin drip, from having intense contractions for so long. Um, it could have been infected because I could have been at 10 centimetres for so long. And also with the use of the forceps, they damaged the inside of my cervix, like where the uterus was, creating a small cut. So when they did the C-section incision, it kind of ripped down to where that little tear was on the forceps, a bit like a broken dip, so which I think would have been avoided if they had gone down the route of my requested C-section, then there would never have been damage there. And so, you know, the C-section wouldn't have caused my uterus to tear. And so presumably they did an operation to kind of stitch you all back up and, and all of that. And what was the what was the recovery like from that? So, yeah, they put me under general anaesthetic due to um, me feeling quite a lot of pain whilst they were trying to repair my uterus. Like, at the time, I didn't know anything that happened. So, yeah, the next day, I was told I'd lost a lot of blood. I required a blood transfusion. Um, I was bed-bound, couldn't get out of bed, had a catheter, couldn't use the toilet. For a couple of days, I was in the high-dependency room with one-to-one midwife care. I developed sepsis. And still to this day, I struggle with iron deficiency, so I'm on iron tablets. So the recovery was very slow and long. Um, I was in hospital for a week. And when I came home, I had to have my husband around and my mum to come and take care of me whilst I tried to take care of my newborn baby. So looking back, it was quite, quite a traumatic time. And what about future pregnancies, Beth? What have you been told about that? So I have been told that I should be able to have another child but I will not be able to have a vaginal birth that all future pregnancies would have to be delivered by c-section which is quite ironic since I thought I wanted my first birth to be like I just have quite a lot of anxieties around the prospects of having another child will I be able to carry my baby to term what would that look like for me so yeah it's had a lot of knock-on consequences. Beth what would you say now to the doctors who discouraged you to have a cesarean it's difficult to say what I'd say to you know I know my body um and I have you know my own thoughts around what I wanted my delivery to be like um and they really should take that into account like each woman's different you know we don't fit into hospital protocols like you know should take each individual case as on a case-by-case basis and, and not just you know I feel like a tick box exercise and that should be what the care should be like mm. Well, Beth, listen, thank you so much for spending the time and being so honest about your story. We're so grateful and take care.
something's just occurred to me, Eve. I feel like this is a debate that seems to exist in the same realm as the breast is best discussion Mm. which we had a few weeks back the idea that something that's natural is always better yes interestingly this came up so at the end of last year there was an independent review into maternity deaths um, a a large number of maternity deaths at um, a hospital in Shrewsbury it was called the Ockenden Report Um, oh yeah I remember that yeah and what came up in that independent review was um, I think the reviewers had said something about a, a, a it was a a lethal reluctance to perform cesarean sections and this culture amongst some staff members of kind of favouring the natural route Mm. to birth. Um, And they said there was this kind of divided situation where some doctors were saying, no, we need to give cesarean sections where it's necessary and some staff were saying no we should make sure we're prioritizing the natural birth but that this has been raised so it clearly is an issue and you're quite right it's a similar in a similar vein to the breastfeeding debate which we've spoken about before and i mean there's nothing to suggest that the doctors who looked after beth had any kinds of attitudes like that but ultimately her story really shows how there are huge risks to a natural birth as well absolutely and that it might well have been a safer option for her to have a cesarean I think that's the difficulty with these things. We never know what's going to happen in birth. Things can go wrong when they're seemingly completely kind of quote unquote normal and healthy. Um, Things can take a turn at the last minute. But the most important thing, I think, is that women are given the choice so that if something does go wrong, at least they know that they were informed, they made that choice, they committed to that choice. And there's nothing worse than feeling like something hasn't gone the right way, but you actually had no control or say in it. Well, next, I think we should hear from a doctor who looks after pregnant women and delivers babies. Are you allowed to say delivers? Yeah. Someone told me that that you only deliver letters. Anyway, she helps women give birth. Oh, is it because women deliver babies? Oh, I don't know. As in the mother (laughs) delivers the baby rather than the midwife or the doctor. We're joined now by consultant obstetrician and gynaecologist Jess McMicking. Jess, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. We're talking today about the rise in caesarean births. It's been called alarming by some. Could you start by telling us why are we seeing increasing numbers of women giving birth like this? Yeah, I think it's quite interesting that some people, I guess, are using the term alarming. I think there's a number of contributing factors. I think if we look firstly at the cohort of women that enter a pregnancy these days, they're obviously much different to um, the demographics, the medical problems that we used to see previously, and of course, looking at for simply maternal age. And I think that all contributes potentially to a caesarean section. Um, In addition, we're finding that women and their birth partners uh, are much more informed these days. They have a wealth of knowledge at their fingertips And so often what we're finding is they've collated together information about how best they want to see their pregnancy pan out and the type of delivery that they wish for. So you're saying people are choosing it? Yes, so we do have now a a cohort of women that request to have a caesarean birth. Um, And this has been discussed um, in guidance. I think also we've had, I guess, patient cohorts that have made this more, I guess, public knowledge. But a woman these days, um, according to our UK guidance, can request to have a caesarean birth. 
I know there's certain risks and benefits that have to be balanced up with any surgical procedure. And, and I was reading up some of the risks after a cesarean birth um, include, uh, I mean, mainly it's complications with subsequent pregnancies, uh, problems with the uterus in subsequent pregnancies and the likelihood of a more complicated uh, subsequent birth, even a, a raised risk of having to have a hysterectomy later on. You know, how do you say a woman is requesting a cesarean birth how do you weigh up the risks and benefits and counsel women yeah so that's a really good question and i hope going forward that we as healthcare providers are consistent in the information that we're providing women and their partners it's all about providing them enough information that provides a detailed i guess discussion about the pros and cons of both a cesarean birth and a vaginal delivery and ensuring that they can at the end of that come to an informed decision. Now we can signpost patients to really good information that's evidence-based and of course that refers to our Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. They have a publication on uh, cesarean birth. We've also got our NICE UK guidance and there's other guidelines out there as well that can help shape that decision. Um, in particular, you know, you mentioned some really crucial risks to think about, um, but of course we've got to think about the acute surgical risks, so on the day of cesarean section, um, the risks that are involved with that procedure, such as the bleeding, infection, um, you've got to think about that recovery, um, especially in those first six weeks, so that's in terms of mobility, increased risk of clots in one's legs and um, chest, and then of course going forward, you've mentioned future pregnancies, but of course if you were to have say, um, a reason for surgery at a later point, you've got to think about the scarring on the inside. It's not a term I'd ever use or Eve would, but I've heard it said that women opt for a caesarean because they're too posh to push, that they just don't want to have it. And actually, it's a negative thing because they're opting for a, a risky surgical procedure for, I mean, I... Uh, I, I was trying to get to the bottom of it by, by reading around. I mean, who, who is it and what reasons would a woman who was too posh to push give? Uh, I saw one research paper suggesting that women were unduly worried about their sex lives after uh, a vaginal birth. I mean, what do you understand by this term? And, and I mean, what do you think of it? Oh, I think it's a horrible term. I completely agree with you. Uh, I think it, it draws a lot of negative connotations and I don't think it reflects truly, you know, those women and their partners that are requesting a cesarean birth. We know cesarean births are formulated in one's mind for a multitude of reasons. And so, yes, you've highlighted that women are worried about their pelvic floor or potentially you know, sexual activity. There's also potentially long-term complications of having a complicated vaginal birth. So that's looking at pelvic organ prolapse and incontinence. Women also may have a fear of childbirth and that's called tocophobia. And I think, you know, we've got to take things like this seriously because, you know, not only do we need to support these women, but we've got to, you know, ensure that they feel psychologically safe going into both their pregnancy and um, childbirth. And then, of course, you may have a cohort of women that choose to have a cesarean birth because they feel that's best for them and their partner. It's going to make them feel safe and comfortable throughout their journey. And quite simply, that's the way in which they would like to deliver their baby. Jess, do you, do you also think that perhaps that because of this, this new cohort of women, I'm wondering whether the risks of a vaginal delivery are different to what they used to be because of the new patient group? That's a difficult question. I think there are still the same risks with the vaginal birth. I think these days, uh, 
possibly, you know, it's once again dwelling, dwelling on the things I've mentioned, there is that raised awareness. So, you know, you may find that there's more information or more sharing of potentially the good and the bad stories. Um, and that's obviously coming from patient groups. So women that may have had a really complicated delivery, um, they're obviously voicing um, their experiences for whether that's helping with their own recovery or also helping you know, increase awareness um, to other women who may not necessarily have that knowledge. And so I guess it's a tricky one because obviously I don't think we need to blame anyone for this pathway. I think at the end of the day, what the focus should be on is supporting women now. You know, This is the cohort of women that we're going to be looking after in our maternity services and how do we best support them and their partners how do we best provide them with consistent information and how best can we help them in making their own informed decisions? Jess, there are some studies recently that have shown that something like 15% of hospitals are just not offering planned caesareans or elective caesareans at all. Um, and, and women have to kind of fulfil a very strict medical criteria. So the reality is that from kind of the, the recent studies that have been done, that that not all women are given a choice. And, and that's given that you are an advocate for both. That's clearly something that you, you dis, would disagree with. Yes, I, I have actually seen that statistic and publication. I think going forward, you know, there's been a lot of attention on maternity safety um, in you know, the last 12 months. Um, and I think that as a trust um, offering maternity services, this will change. You will find that statistic will drop. Um, and that's, you know, thanks to the wonderful support of uh, a lot of people that work within maternity services and also patient advocacy uh, groups as well. Um, what has to happen is when a, a woman starts the thought process about having a cesarean section birth, um, what we should do as midwives and obstetricians is obviously provide them with that information. At the end of the day, if there is a clinician that has declined a, a mother's request for a cesarean birth, then she can be referred for a second opinion and someone who will support her in her wishes. Um, and that is in our NICE guidance. Um, and so, as I said before, I, I think with time, there is going to be a shift in that number. Um, and it's just giving it, I guess, time to filter through so that other trusts that may not necessarily be onto that pathway as well, you know, have time to, uh, I guess, reconfigure their services and be able to accommodate one's wishes. Jess McMicking, consultant, obstetrician and gynaecologist, thank you very much for joining us. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. I thought that Jess chose her words very carefully and, you know, her optimism is reassuring. Mm. One thing that we haven't talked about is women's own desires to have a natural birth overriding any kind of medical advice to the country that they're given. I know someone who tells a story about her own her own labour with, I think it was her first child, and she was very wedded to the idea that she would give birth in a, a pool and just have self-hypnosis, and she had a very clear idea about what it would be like. And... 
I think she endured something like 36 hours of labour before the midwives even gave up Mm. and said that she needed to have medical intervention at this point. She was in a birthing centre, which are Mm. separate often from from the main hospitals that they're they're linked to. Um, So they're run by midwives. And she she literally says that she was holding on to the the door frames. She had to be prized off because she refused to be taken into the hospital. She wanted to have that natural birth. And now looking back, I mean, she had a very complicated emergency cesarean. And looking back, she she could have died. She knows, and it's, she's terrified by that. And and you know, the baby could have been, uh, you know, damaged. Mm. Nothing went wrong in the end but I mean it's a scary prospect to think that you're so there's this idea that you've got to do it in a certain way and I wonder where that comes from Eve. It's an ideology I mean some doctors have spoken to me about this ideology of uh, of natural is best and I guess it's the kind of, you know, women have been doing this since the dawn of time and didn't need any help, so why should we? And it's this, there's this idea that there's something really magical and special about just going through the natural process of labour and not having any modern-day interventions. Yeah. And I guess the, the magical special bit is having a healthy baby. Well, exactly. I think it's bonkers to say, you know, to, to have that kind of let's go back to the olden days attitude when it comes that. to this because yeah 100 years ago babies you were lucky if you survived as a woman, yeah. All the time. yeah and i mean it really wasn't a great time to be born pre-medical intervention or be giving birth i mean with no pain relief nothing i think there's lots of women out there who have this very kind of run-of-the-mill vaginal birth and don't have complications and you know there's there's kind of a little bit of injury as you Mm. would expect but the majority of women do don't they yes i think so but i think that those those numbers are fewer than they were a few years ago because now women are are different giving birth They're, they're not younger they're not you know, in in the great greatest health, and well, so proportionally, there's yeah, there's more complicated exactly cases, and I think we need to kind of wise up to that and now provide a service that reflects that rather than harking back to the good old days, which just isn't the reality anymore. And also, I think it's interesting what Jess was saying that a lot of women, for them, they're planning their families and they only want one child, so the risks of a cesarean for future births just isn't relevant to them, and we have to stop kind of putting our I hate to say it, but societal norms on what a, a woman and a mother should be onto women when that's not their choice. But I think it is ultimately important that these discussions continue to be had. I think, in um, and this is something we mentioned when we were talking about breastfeeding, that in the 1950s there was an over-medicalisation. Mm. And I always remember a, a, a midwife who worked in the 50s that I interviewed years and years ago talking about how it was standard to shave women from nipple to knee when they came in to give birth. But why? Why? Yeah, why? why? I've never understood it. And she said she didn't know why, but apparently that's that was the standard. So if anyone out there gave birth in the 1950s and can, can let us know why or whether you were shaved from nipple to knee, please do tell us. I'm intrigued to know. <laughs> Me too. Well, that's all, all we've got time for, unfortunately. As ever, if you've got a question or a suggestion for something we should be covering on Medical Minefield, tweet us using the hashtag Medical Minefield. 
You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday. And you can visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.